Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. That's a win. That's a win as a favorite and a much-needed AFC South victory with certainly the offensive highlight of the season. Kevin Bowen back here on Kevin's Corner. Eddie Garrison in Florida for the week. So we've gone to the bullpen and really have brought out Mariana Rivera or insert uh, Josh Hader. I, I, mm, I don't that's know. Cool. Do you want, let me go a little present day with that one. Uh, Brendan King is with us, the one and only. You hear him on our airwaves a lot. Tremendous play-by-play voice. Uh, BK, how you doing, man? What up, Kev? Great to be with you after a win, especially. I came up to you in the press box yesterday. It's like, we get to talk about something happy. It was like a sigh of relief of like, you know, there's a level of like objectivity, of course, that I feel like I have, and, and I hope our listeners feel that. But it just... It was getting so redundant in a way. It's like, all right, that was new. That was different. And I walked out of Lucas Oil Stadium, and I think you felt this, and I, I would like to think a lot of fans felt this. That was a win that I didn't think the Colts could pull off with that blueprint. You know, if you're going to label run offense, pass offense, pass defense, run defense, special teams, like let's just break down the game into five areas. And what carries you to victory? I had the most skepticism about the passing offense carrying you to a victory. Dude, they did all the heavy lifting. All the heavy lifting for you yesterday in getting that done. And I just didn't think this team was necessarily capable of doing that. Um, so a really important win. I think it's the first time you you have left the game this year where you're like, you know what? The Colts won that game. They weren't gifted 13 different things to win that game. Um, they proved that they can win a game doing something differently. Again, they proved they could win as a favorite and a big-time, big-time moment there late to put the game on ice. Uh, so it's signs of hope. It's signs of belief. Um, you finally corrected the just crippling wrongs you've had this season in pass protection and turning the ball over, um, and those are positive signs. Obviously, you got to repeat them. You've got to play with more of a bullseye. You've got to get off to a better start. You can't chuck it 58 times a game and think that that's going to be the recipe week in and week out. Um, but just much needed, a much needed effort from Frank Reich and that bunch. If anybody was playing a drinking game every time Deion Jackson caught the ball on a check down or a little bubble screen, I, I think they'd be having a pretty good time yesterday. I That was like the extension of the run game. Yeah. Ten targets, ten catches for Deion Jackson. He was really good. And – Kev, I took the Jaguars yesterday in the little 107.5, the fan picks that we do. Uh huh. After week 17, after week two, they needed to show me something like that. I don't blame you. And they did. Yeah, I, I don't blame you at all. And you know what? That comment right there, BK, they needed to show me something. I think Frank Reich had that message to himself in the building of like, damn, shut out in week two, sacked five times, hit 11 times. We've got to do something differently. And coming out of the mini-bye week, we said on last week's pod, they did something drastic with their O-line. What are they going to What else might they do? Well, I think the change of the tempo was that. I mean, that was a heavy, heavy no-huddle approach. We'll get into that um, today on the pod. Obviously, that'll be in what I liked. Um, it was kind of an odd defensive effort. There are some numbers that you're like, how the hell did they only hold them to 27, frankly, with some of the defensive numbers that we'll get into. But you just you needed it for the AFC South. 
you're definitely lurking around the wild card picture. I think you'll go into week seven, no matter what happens tonight with Chargers and Broncos. You, you are the seventh seed right now in the AFC, uh, but just much, much needed. It goes without saying with where you're at division-wise. You got down double digits. Um, I guess before I get into what, what I liked, Brendan, something that I haven't done enough of this year and I want to get back to doing it, I like to circle kind of an under-the-radar play of the game. We're going to hear the Alec Pierce touchdown for years to come, frankly. But there was a moment in the first half yesterday. You're down 14-3. to Jacksonville's got the ball about midway point of the second quarter. And when they took over that drive, I'm thinking to myself, man, they put together like a five-minute drive here and score. They're going to be up two, maybe three scores at halftime, and they get the ball to start the third quarter. This is going to be like every other AFC South game you've played for the last you know, handful. Like You're getting your ass kicked again by a divisional opponent when you're the f- favorite. And... Jacksonville got into a third and two to start that drive, and Tyquan Lewis just bull rushes their right guard and sacks Trevor Lawrence for a three and out with Jacksonville somewhat backed up. And I thought that was just a little bit of a play the Colts needed to kind of jolt everything. I thought the crowd was terrific yesterday. Mm -hmm. I thought the crowd had a bit of a hostile nature to it, which I don't usually say of like, we're sick and tired of how this team has played, and we're going to voice our opinions. There were boo birds. I mean, mm-hmm. you were there. There were plenty of boos early in that game, but I thought that play by Lewis was huge. The Colts score off that drive. They score seven. They get the McLaughlin field goal late in the half, and now all of a sudden you go into halftime, and it's 14-13, and you, you just feel so much better about the situation that you're in there. Um, so that's kind of an under-the-radar play that I wanted to mention here early. Big by Taekwon, especially in the absence of Quiddy Pay sure. heading into the game, too. And yeah. obviously Shaq not in, JT, Naeem Hines. Kev, I just thought the stat, the everything was stacked against the Colts heading into the game yesterday. I'm not saying that Doug Peterson is Frank Reich's old sensei or whatever, but I mean, you're going against the guy that you won a Super Bowl with. Uh, you're going against a team that seemingly you could not beat over the last six months, eight months or so. Or score. Or score. Or score. I, I can't even put in the words. So if week two was embarrassing for us to talk about, I can't even imagine the level of embarrassment from about a month and a half ago in that room. So you can imagine the collective sigh of relief that Frank Reich had heading into the locker room yesterday before he delivered his speech. Oh, without question. Yeah, I mean, without question. Um, And I guess that leads us into kind of what I liked. And let's start with the approach offensively, and that was the quicker tempo. You know, um, it takes a lot, I think, for a human being, frankly, but someone in a position of of authority like Frank Reich is in to say, all right, we can't do what we would like to do. We can't block Jacksonville. That's pretty much what Frank Reich was saying. We can't block them normally is probably how I should put it. Like, you can't get into a traditional first and ten, let Jacksonville stay fresh on defense, Hope that you stay ahead of the chains. Um, can't block them. And so Frank decides to say, all right, we're the 32nd ranked offense in the league. We need to create some sort of jolt, some sort of rhythm. How do you find rhythm? And they go up tempo, and they go with that quicker rhythm. And I thought that was an outstanding, outstanding call to help out your O-line, to help out Matt Ryan. 
And then the byproduct of it, Brendan, and again, they felt like Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines both had a chance to play late in the week. I don't think this was you got the Friday afternoon and you were like, oh, shit, you know, they're not going to play. We got to do something differently. But it was a way to supplement a run game that has struggled this season. You mentioned Deion Jackson earlier. I mean, you, you passed to run in that game, and that was huge in just, I think, providing – a little four-yarder here, a little six-yarder here. Paris Campbell looked like Wes Welker yesterday mm-hmm. in just a possession-like game out of him. You had nine drives yesterday, nine series with the ball, and you got to Jacksonville territory on eight of those nine. That is in a very impressive number, and it's not like you were handed the ball at the 50 on three or four of those drives. Um, so I thought it was brilliant by Frank Reich to do that. Um you guys know that I've probably cited a little bit more on the Frank Reich offensive defender than most. Um, certainly there are areas to point to this year that it, he's been an issue. But I thought yesterday, doing that, uh, kudos to him. And I thought I got this offense into a great, great rhythm. Much needed game from Paris Campbell, too. With the injury to Ashton Doolin, obviously wide receiver depth, Kev, has been a question probably for as long as we've known each other. Um, and it continues to be. Like the game for Pittman yesterday, obviously love what Alec Pierce did. And the Pierce game is so intriguing because the week one drop in the end zone, I wasn't overly impressed when I was with you at camp, be that I was only at camp for a combined four or five days this year, but I didn't leave bragging to my friends about Alec Pierce. Mm -hmm. Huge for his confidence. But again, if Paris Campbell can just become consistently reliable... That's huge for a number three, and you need that late in the season. Just play off Pittman and Pierce, you know, in, in that role. There's going to be more and more safety help over the top and to Pittman and Pierce. And so if Campbell can become just reliable, consistent, he played every snap yesterday. They clearly value him on the field. Like, you know, that's been surprising to me how much they've played him, but they clearly feel like he brings a value to them, just his presence out there. Um the tight ends on those crossers, I thought you had a lot of big plays with that after the catch. And then Jackson, just a very methodical day with his 10 catches. Well, let's get into the pass protection next. 58 pass attempts, no sacks allowed. And Matt Ryan was only hit six times. I don't know if that really resonates to people, but like you throw it 58 and your quarterback only gets hit six times, that's pretty good when you think about it. And I thought the tempo helped them out big time. I was very confused when Dennis Kelly entered the game in the third series. Mm. I was like, didn't they just say for a full week we need to commit to Ryman, we need to give him a chance, we need to grow him? And I know there's a section of the fan base that certainly has one eye towards the future. This isn't the move that you'd necessarily love to see. You'd love to see, I think, Ryman get those reps. But for the short term, I was always kind of like, are they ever going to look at Dennis Kelly? You know, he's been healthy for over a month. The dude's chirping on social media about the fact that he's not playing. Um, I thought he did a nice job. I thought they helped him a good amount, which was important as well. Um, I didn't feel like they have helped their mediocre to bad left tackles in years past. And I, I felt like that was um, that was important. So, Ryan Kelly had a great quote after the game. You know, tired offensive linemen are better than tired defensive linemen. And when you go the up-tempo... I think he was able to dictate a little bit more. Um, they kept that personnel grouping of, I think it was Pierce, Campbell, Pittman, Allie Cox, and Jackson. That was the main 
you know, when you don't sub, because now mm-hmm. when you sub in the NFL, the defense can sub. And so that obviously eliminates the, you know, Peyton Manning getting 12 guys on the field and, you know, those sorts of penalties that were so prevalent when the Colts went up tempo in previous eras. Um, but still, for everything you've done offensive line-wise, the scramble there, Matt Pryor moving over to guard, smart move. I know Pryor wasn't perfect, but, um, you know, if that's what your fifth offensive lineman looks like against a pretty good front, I think you can live with it. Um, just a great day for the pass protection. Frank Wright called it special. I, I would agree, but I'd also think that Frank Reich helped them be special in the approach to tempo. And finally, for once, you supported your quarterback. You supported Matt Ryan, and he supported you. And I think it's a two-way street with that. I think you've lacked it too often. I think it dates back, honestly, a couple of years in the lack of support there. You're not wrong. Especially this year. And again, when you when you say support, you're not just talking about skill guys necessarily. You're talking about up front. You know, Matt Ryan came here because felt like this offensive line would create a nice, clean pocket for him on a pretty routine basis. Um, and, you know, I also think, Brendan, it was kind of a reminder of, like, everything the Colts did yesterday with the tempo, it, it was it was a reminder of, like, you're doing that because you can't block effectively in a normal game flow. I mean, that, that's why you felt the need to do – something so drastic there. I think I saw a stat yesterday. It was the third highest amount of no no huddle snaps in the NFL this season by any NFL team. Um, so clearly it was an outlier from what the Colts have done. Uh, but still, kudos to the pass protection. The word that you just used, drastic, if we're like describing at the end of the year the Colts season by like dinosaur eras – this is like the drastic period. I mean, from Thursday night football <laughs> right. with the offensive line changes to, again, as you said, the up-tempo was a great decision, and it helped win them the game. I don't think anybody's happier than Matt Ryan's chiropractor right? uh, than chiropractor than freaking him not getting touched like or that. Or son uh, to go play in the backyard with him. That's what I'm saying. Uh, let me ask you this question, because it's been a while since we've actually done like a show together or anything. Yeah. The offensive line which we watched during training camp. We watched Matt Pryor at left tackle. We both kind of gave us the side eyes, like, mm-hmm. oh, boy. Are you – okay. What you thought would last – Would did you think it would last this long before they made the change into Denver, or did you think it would be sooner that they make that kind of change with Pryor? You know, I felt like we had this conversation in Westfield, BK, but it was kind of like, Man, they're leaving Pryor and Pinter at left tackle and right guard every single day. Like, this is no competition. You know, it, late July, I do an article and a podcast that is starting position battles to watch. And obviously, strong safety was on there. A great battle between Nick Cross and Roddy McLeod. And we've seen that play out in both directions here. And Roddy McLeod, I thought, gave them really, really quality minutes yesterday. Um, you know, kicker was, I guess, a bit of a battle um, at the time. You know, third <laughs> corner. Isaiah Rogers, Brandon face on. That's crystal clear right now. We'll get more to that in what I didn't like from the game on Sunday. But I just found it odd for an organization that preaches so much competition, a GM that preaches so much trench competition, you never saw it in camp. And, and it, we started to see, and I touched on this on last week's podcast, we started to see flashes of the offensive line questions in the G- Detroit joint practices in every preseason game. Even though the starters weren't out there for long, long stretches, you saw O-line issues. So that's where I'm like, man, 
they must not really trust their depth. They might they must not really want to maybe believe in their depth. I I, I don't as really much as know. they talk about it though. Right. Yeah. Um. What they did versus Denver was still wild to me. Yeah. That you did it to that extent. But again, it's it's an admittance of where they're at right now, offensive line. Moving forward, again, if your focus is solely on the short term, which I would assume that's what Frank Reich is thinking, you start Dennis Kelly in Tennessee, and this is the group that you go with. Um, You know, I thought they'd give Ryman a little bit of a longer leash, and for those that missed it, basically is what Frank Reich said yesterday about that. They were going to start Ryman, play him a couple series, go to Kelly, and then let Chris Strauss, their O-line coach, make the decision from there. And I felt like Ryman, it wasn't like egregious when he was in there. I did feel like that outside edges of the pockets, it was getting to Matt Ryan kind of quick mm-hmm. in those first couple of drives there. Uh, but still, I, I thought right now this is the best five-man grouping of short-term. You know, I think this is what you go with. You know, I, I mentioned kind of short-term, long-term, uh, I guess, last week on the pod of what you would do here. Um, you know, not having fries, not having Ryman in there, that's probably some of the younger moves that you could make there. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to mention the pass protection. And I think the last thing to mention, Eddie – or Eddie. Apologies. Brendan. Uh, before, I'm much more handsome than before him. Before we move on. <laughs> move on. I, there was zero comment from me after that statement. Um, would be the call. And I guess it's the play call, it's the throw, and it's the catch. And – I don't think the Colts would have made such a call last season, and they certainly wouldn't have executed such a call last season. In particular, they wouldn't have executed it two weeks ago. And I think you got to look at all the layers of this. It's a third and 13 with less than 30 seconds to go. You just ran it, and Jacksonville called their second time out. So much conventional wisdom says you run it again. You make them call their final timeout, and then you tried out Chase McLaughlin from, you know, whatever, 48 or 50. But what Reich is saying in that instance is, we're going to go try and win the game. I still have a street kicker, as much as Chase McLaughlin has had some really good moments. It's no foregone conclusion that he's just going to bang that home. And I thought the play call is such a mix of, like, you're trying to go win the game, but I didn't think it was the riskiest play call. The odds of a Jacksonville DB picking the ball off, I mean, that would have been worst-case scenario, right, is an interception. The odds of him picking that ball off are pretty slim. You don't see many interceptions, like, outside the numbers. I don't think you see many interceptions on go balls like that. I think Alec Pierce showed during the game that either – or it showed quite often, and as a Notre Dame fan, I've got a lot to worry about right now with the football program, but I still remember what Pierce did against my Irish late last year. That was tough. He either comes down with it, or, I mean, hell, BK, he, he draws penalties. And I felt like, you know, it was almost kind of a panic situation there where if Shaquille Griffin got a little handsy, that officiating crew is probably going to call that. Um, the biggest risk, honestly, probably was more from a holding or sack standpoint. That was probably where you run into the bigger risk there. And Matt Ryan did get hit on the play, and I think you got to talk about the, the throw because Matt Pryor gets beat and someone's at – Matt Ryan's legs, and yet he delivers a really good ball. Gave Alec Pierce a chance. Gave only Alec Pierce a chance. Didn't give, didn't underthrow that ball, and it was either Pierce or nobody. Um, so tremendous 
tremendous by Matt Ryan in that moment. Um, and then the catch. It, it's That is Alec Pierce's greatest strength, is that. Again, he did in South Bend last year. He did in Bloomington last year. He makes those catches, but he doesn't just make them in the first quarter. He makes them in the fourth quarter. And that was something we did see at Grand Park, Brendan, of like, we did see the one-on-one. We didn't see it a lot in the 11-on-11, but one-on-one every day, Pierce would make a play like that. And it's what kind of, I think, separates him from a lot of wideouts. But, you know, so many people ask me, leading to any season, hey, you know, what are your thoughts fantasy-wise? What, you know, what do, you, you know, do you like this guy? Do you like that guy? What are your thoughts on Alec Pierce? The thing with Pierce was like, he could very well give you one for 35 every game. Yeah. One for 40 every game. I didn't think it'd be this frequent, this early, but I definitely thought that this is the type of whiteout he could be very quickly because, again, he did it at college and he was showing signs of that at Grand Park. I just didn't think it'd be a weekly occurrence. And I think we've seen more other stuff with Pierce that I didn't think we'd see this early for him. Um, I love the basically come to the line of scrimmage. If they are playing off, we're going to throw the slant. If they're playing press, we're going to throw the go ball. That was the thought process on that play right there. There's a great shot um, from Pierce after the catch where he just has no facial expression. And Brendan, I feel like that's him. Mm. Like he's just, these moments are not too big for him. He said he glanced over at Reggie Wayne right before the snap, and Reggie kind of gave him one of these, like, calm down. You know, work your press beater. Work don't don't think you're running a 40-yard dash here at Lucas Oil Stadium in the combine in February. Make sure you beat press and then you let your speed kind of open up and you go make the volleyball type of play in the air. Um and that's how he's wired. He's a tremendous athlete. He has such an innate ability, he comes from a family of athletes. All of that makeup is why the Colts felt so good about drafting him and why he's earned Matt Ryan's trust. And he's bounced back from week one where he Mm -hmm. had a drop, he had a concussion. I mean, that can derail a lot. And Matt Ryan clearly has trust in him in that moment. Um, So to me, it's just a multi-layered thing of the play call. Frank Reich toes the aggression line. He went and won the game. He trusted his quarterback. I don't think he fully trusted his QB last year, especially late in games. He trusted his offensive line. I don't think he would have trusted them in that moment late in Denver, but he trusted them late yesterday. And then obviously Pierce doing what he does best. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking a bit in hyperbole, but I think that's one of the more like highlight real plays Lucas Oil Stadium has seen in quite some time. Just consider the moment. Consider where you're at in the season. You went and won it. You know, you didn't. You, oftentimes, I feel like teams kind of wait for you to, or you, you know, you wait for your opponent to kind of give you the game. The Colts said, "Screw that. We're not putting anything on Chase McLaughlin. Chase McLaughlin. We're not. No, we're not doing that. We're going to go win it." And they did. You know that like hype video that they do after the two-minute warning with the inception music in the fourth quarter? I mean, that catch is going to be on that video for until oh. the, the end of time. Without question. I can't even imagine being a young guy like him and to have the people and individuals that he does around him 
because it has to be a difference maker when you're a rookie in the NFL. There's a big difference from having Matt Ryan as your quarterback to, as you said, probably having Carson Wentz as your quarterback or even having you know another rookie, whoever, in this league, whether it's yeah, Kenny Desmond Pickett. Desmond Ritter. Yeah, yeah whatever. whatever. Um, yeah. But to have Ryan around him, to have Reggie Wayne around him, and then to have Michael Pittman as the number one that you're working under, right. who is under double coverage so often in crucial moments, I mean, that's going to give you an opportunity, right? Absolutely. And I think something else to note, Brennan, before we move into what I didn't like from yesterday, like you had a late-game drive, and it wasn't because of Matt Ryan's mistakes that you needed the late-game drive. You've needed the late-game drive this season because Matt Ryan has made very poor decisions with the football too often. You didn't have that yesterday. We'll get into why you needed it, and it's largely to do with the defensive effort. But I think that's another thing that you get to of like, all right, you walk out of that stadium and you feel better because you corrected, for one afternoon, you corrected two very big, big issues in pass protection and in turnovers. Um, And those are steps in the right direction. Those are positive moments. And I didn't feel that exiting Kansas City. And I didn't feel that exiting Denver either. No, the Kansas City game leaving that, I don't know about you, it felt like that you just robbed a bank. Yeah. And you were like, wait, does Chris Jones have a, a you know a big philanthropic side? Can we donate to his charities? Yeah. Uh, like you just left, like the Joker leaving the Gotham Bank and <laughs> driving in a school bus, like, bye, see yeah. ya. Like, and honestly, Denver, you felt a little bit of that. It wasn't oh. as glaring, maybe, but Denver was just like, gosh, I should take three showers after watching that I felt game disgusting before, after watching yeah, that game. Before I go to bed. About as bad as the uh, Mariners-Astros uh, oh. 18 innings scoreless. I don't know what was worse, to be honest with you. Thursday night, the past two Thursday night footballs are the freaking well, how about beer, game in how about beer innings. sales ending after the seventh inning, and you got to oh, be there for another, I? you know, three hours for that one. Um, we will get Brendan's baseball picks to end it because that's where his heavy background comes from. Um, as we record this on Monday morning ahead of tonight's ALDS Game Five in Yankee Stadium, uh, let's go to what I didn't like, and let's go to the run defense. I, per carry. Yeah, I just... Some big, big runs. Um, I mean, it's wild to think that, like, you allowed 7.4 a carry. Trevor Lawrence completed 91% of his passes. Uh, Did you record a turnover? I don't think you did. No. I guess technically you got a turnover to end the game, right? When Christian Kirk fumbled? I don't know. Did he fumble that? My fantasy team got screwed because of that. God, that's brutal, man. Christian Kirk, I'm going to lose my fantasy week because Christian Kirk lost three points on that play. That's brutal. That's a kick in the you-know-what, man. Oh, I felt terrible. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, thanks. And you won the game. I I saw a stat. I don't know if I have this completely accurate, and I know this kind of gets deep into the weeds, but it's like Trevor Lawrence is the first quarterback to lose a game in which he completed over 90%. He had three touchdowns and no turnovers. And I think there was one other layer to it. But I'm like, damn. You know, I, I, I kind of got back to my desk afterwards, and I'm like, gosh, I knew the run defense was bad. 7.4 is really bad. And then I knew Lawrence had a really easy day throwing the football. Um, yes, it was a lot of dink and dunk, but still, it's like, oh, man, that was not not ideal. Um, I did think to the Lewis sack earlier, to the Buckner sack to start the game, those were big plays. Huge. 
huge, huge plays and just kind of keeping Jacksonville out of scoring chances. Because when Jacksonville got in the red zone, they converted. And that was a big play drive by Jacksonville there late, the 18 play for 84 yards. I did think another kind of subtly big play was you stop the two-point conversion after an 18-play drive, and then Isaiah Rogers returns that opening kickoff or that that kickoff mm-hmm. to like the 35. You got into a couple third downs on that final drive. That eliminates an extra first down that you needed by getting to the 35 there. That was a big play too. Uh, yeah, just didn't love the defense. Didn't love it. Um, Lawrence just continues to find easy rhythms with this team. Run game wise, are you missing Quiddy Pay that much? You know, is that it? I mean, Grover Stewart made some stops, and you did have some tackles for loss, but just some run gap fits that were just awful. Big runs, hasty, the sixty-one that, yarder. I was like, who the hell is this guy? I know. I Connor McGregor, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> I never heard of him. <laughs> Etn in space, James Robinson. I mean, it was kind of whoever. Um, and then the other thing I didn't like is it is time to bench Brandon Face on. Isaiah Rogers did outsnap him. He outsnapped him by twelve yesterday. Rogers, it's slowly trending in a closer to a fifty-fifty split. And then yesterday, I think they had had enough with Face on. I'd be curious to see if they ever put him back in the game, maybe for that final play. But that was it. Uh, that that needs to be what's happening going forward. And I know we got a couple Twitter questions on that, so maybe I'll hold off some thoughts. Um, anything defensively? Stick out to you, Brendan. I was going to bring up the Buckner sack um, Boy, off the edge. Huge play. Holy cow. And now Lawrence, you know, spun into that, but still, that's still. Buckner on the edge, getting a one-on-one rep, continuing to step up for this team. And they did have four sacks. I know a couple of those, I think, were scrambles that maybe Lawrence just kind of ran out of bounds, like near the line of scrimmage. But I did think that was the one element of the defense that stepped up. Another play I wanted to mention um, that was huge was EJ Speed defending that option on fourth down. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the one miss, really bad miss that Lawrence had on third down. He two hopped the ball to Christian Kirk on like a third and one, third and two. Easy pitch and catch. They get to fourth down, they run that option. And I think Lewis had the initial penetration, but then Speed, just a beautiful job showing off his lateral quickness for the stuff there. Yeah, I thought even though he had a touchdown, and obviously Marvin Jones didn't play and Zay Jones kind of hurt you, but for 75% of that game until the touchdown, I thought Kenny Moore did a fabulous job on Christian Kirk, who has big playability and torched you in week two for two touchdowns. So I I thought they played him really well, a dangerous guy from the slot. Yeah, four for 24 for Kirk, really quiet. Really quiet. So I thought Kenny did really well. Um, Again, I am a Christian Kirk fantasy owner, so from that perspective, I'm not happy, but... No wonder you're paying attention to it. <laughs> of course. And, and Gilmore had that shaky start. Was that the final drive? Yeah. Yeah, where he had the penalty and the third and 12 to Zay Jones there. Um, or the third and 12 penalty and the third and 13 to Zay Jones. And they converted so many third downs and the fourth down on that 18-play touchdown drive there. So uh, definitely was not your finest hour from the defense. And I think it's just it's one of these these reminders, Brendan, of like, the defense, I think, had strung together in the previous three weeks some really, really good stretches. Derrick Henry went off in that stretch, but Kansas City, you did a nice job. Denver, you did a nice job. And I think this is these types of performances what keeps the defense from being top five, top seven. Yeah, you know the the script is following a little bit of the Eberflus pattern of like you see some moments, but I still can't say here that is a top ten, 
no doubt about a defense in the NFL. Um, you need to show it a little bit more, and you're going to start to see, I think, I don't know if like on paper they like are unquestionably better quarterbacks, but all of a sudden you start looking at the schedule, you're like, wait, the Eagles are undefeated? Wait, the Vikings are 5-1? and one? You know, the Cowboys look, you know, pretty good. The Giants on New Year's Day, 5-1. and one, Like, incredible. All of a sudden, a few of these games are popping up that maybe kind of look different than what you thought the Steelers would potentially be or what the Ra- Raiders would be or Denver would be. Uh, so those are things to keep an eye on. You also have to give credit where credit's due, in my mind, of what Doug Peterson has done, especially with the running backs in Jacksonville, James Robinson and Travis Etienne. Whenever JT gets back healthy, whenever Naeem Hines get ba- gets back healthy, I'm a little jealous of how Jacksonville uses their running backs. And yeah, cr- did you did you tweet that yesterday? Like, yes. Etienne and Robinson, this should be Taylor and Hines. Yes. I thought that was pretty accurate. And I, and- I, I don't have any problem, Kev, with pounding JT up the gut. Uh, it's what he's best at. But it just gets too dry when you do it over and over and over again. And I think I was talking to you at camp. You know, people that keep on saying year after year, every August, like Naeem Hines is going to be a big part of this offense and the slot or creativeness or on third yeah, down. I mean, Where I, is it? I mean, why'd hand, you pay the guy? Yeah, hand is fully raised because I've been one of those guys. But again, to your point, they've been saying it. They, exactly. They've been more outspoken than exactly. anybody else with it. Um, I know we got some Deion Jackson, Naeem Hines Twitter questions, so maybe we'll hold off on anything um, else until that. Do you want to touch on anything more, or should we get into Twitter questions? Let's do some questions. Okay. Uh, who do we got to start off with? We'll go with Randall first. Randall says, hey, Kev, hope Max is letting you all get some extra sleep and that everybody is staying happy and healthy. Happy and healthy. I, the sleep is to be debated, but thank you, Randall. W in Denver didn't feel like a W. People will celebrate this win against Jacksonville because of how we won, glossing over some of the uglier stuff like the 61-yard rush touchdown, Trevor Lawrence's high completion percentage, like you said. What makes this defense platform well against KC but bad against Jacksonville and others? Well, I guess, Randall, it's a little bit of what I just kind of hit on. Of You know, it, it's not a legit top three or five unit. I think the rush plan for Kansas City is very unique. I also think that was kind of a bit of an outlier day for the Chiefs in um, some of the stuff that they did. You know, I am curious to go back to an earlier point. Was that run defense, were the issues there, or was that Quiddy Pay related and not having him out there? You know, your defensive end depth, I don't I don't love what I've seen just yet. I think Taekwon Lewis is a really good player. I want to see more from Dio, um, and Ben Banigou, um continues to be pretty quiet whenever his, his number's called. So, um those are probably some areas that I point to. And then, you know, part of me is just kind of like, boy, this is life in the NFL of, you know, not everybody's Buffalo. And there are a lot of teams that are just kind of in, in this middle ground, and uh, the Colts would slot into that right now uh, with how they've performed this season. But, you know, when you think about it, entering this game, you play 20 quarters. I would argue maybe a handful of them, you had been the superior team. You were the superior team yesterday in closing out that second quarter and definitely in the fourth quarter. Uh, third quarter is probably back and forth, but um, those are positive signs to build on. Kev, we'll go to Austin, who has a question about the running backs. Do you think once Hines and Taylor return to the field, the coach should look at including Deion Jackson still on some plays? It seemed like he played well yesterday in the pass-catching department, especially out of the backfield. 
Austin is from Iowa, so watching two bad offenses, the Hawkeyes on Saturday <laughs> and the Colts on Sunday, I'd be willing to try anything to give this Colts team a boost. Love listening to the pod. Thanks. I appreciate that, Austin. Boy, Iowa football. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, frickin' Thursday night football, each of the last two weeks, I mean, it has felt right? like Iowa, Wisconsin. And you like you're yep. you're glued to a chair and you can't move. Like, help. Yeah, I feel like the NFL should give everyone free Amazon Prime for the rest of the year for what we've had to witness. <laughs> yeah, Austin, I, involving a third running back is something Frank Reich has never wanted to do. I think it's difficult. To Brendan's earlier point, Jonathan Taylor should be your workhorse. My question just becomes, can't Naheem Hines do what Deion Jackson did yesterday? Exactly. And I think that was the plan entering the game. Remember, Hines and Taylor were pretty late scratches. So the Colts have been building for this no huddle. Basically, after the Jacksonville game, the Colts sat there and thought to themselves, all right, let's target the next Jacksonville game to use the no huddle. So this has been in the works for a couple of weeks here. So part of me is like, wouldn't we have seen Hines heavily used in that role? I I, I think so. I don't. Part of me is probably saying, I, I, I hope so, but I think so. Kev, we'll go to Jay Will, who, again, hope your growing family is doing well, Kev. Thank you, Jay Will. With this Enjoy rotation- listening to you each morning <laughs> on my drive-in. With this rotation of O-linemen happening, where is the majority of pass rush getting through position-wise? And the second question, how does a rookie left tackle get replaced after minimal snaps, after showing his after showing uh, his self during a week of practice? Does this staff lack evaluation ability? Yeah, it, it's odd that, you know, that was that was the path kind of taken there. It was odd that it's taken this long for Dennis Kelly, you know. You're telling me Matt Pryor, Bernard Ryman last Thursday night over Dennis Kelly. Uh, but again, I thought they helped Kelly out. Um, as far as where the most pressure is going, I would probably say it is that right guard, and that is something that you're going to see on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons um, – them against Matt Pryor is going to be seen a lot. And I am curious, you know, Dennis Kelly's got a lot of history in Tennessee. Do they know his strengths and weaknesses? And what does their pass rush plan look opposite him? You know, that's something every team should tap into of, hey, we we know that guy. I mean, Dennis Kelly is, I think he was in Tennessee. He's been in Tennessee for a while, definitely with these variable teams. He started, I think, every game a few seasons ago for him. So you know they're going to try some things and, you know, kind of pushing his buttons and seeing weakness-wise where where he's at. Um, but 58 pass attempts and no sacks, I just – that's great. It's so impressive. I mean, it's so rare. And, again, tempo helps out big time. Matt Ryan got the ball out the fastest of, of any. Uh, but the whole O-line evaluation, very odd to me. And – you know, there's sections of the fan base. I'm sure it grows each week, both areas of like, Brendan, you have some people that are like, I got one eye towards the future. With every single move that happens this season, one eye towards the future. And by the way, we'll hit on Sam Ellinger more on Wednesday's podcast because I think there's a little bit more there mm. than what the Colts are saying publicly. Um, so you've got one section of the fan base that's there, and then you've got the other section that's like, screw one eye towards the future. I want to win, and I want to win now. I... I I haven't watched my team win an AFC South division title in seven years. And I to- I can totally see both sides of it. Fully understand where people are coming from with both of it. Right now, offensive line-wise, for a minute there I thought, oh, 
they do have one eye towards the future. They're going to commit to Ryman for multiple weeks, get him practice time, and then all of a sudden, Dennis Kelly does what he does does yesterday. I'm thinking to myself, well, don't they have to start Dennis Kelly this Sunday in Nashville? I think you're going to have to, Kev. All right, back to the running backs with David and Tyler. Deion Jackson, is he better than Hines? We've seen him used in the role we thought Hines would be the past two games. How can Frank get Dion so many touches but struggle to get Hines' work? Well, I think a lot of it is, again, the approach and the game plan of what they wanted to do coming into this game. Um, you know, Jackson, I think, is catching more balls just strictly out of the backfield, whereas Hines is a little bit more split out. So, you know, do you, you know, change up that a little bit? But I... I'm not going to say Deion Jackson is better than Naeem Hines. I can't go there at all. Um, and I think Hines is more of a dynamic nature if you can get him the ball in those areas there. You know, I've said this leading into the Denver game. Brandon, there's no more replaceable position in all of sports, in all of football, than running back. It's just, I mean, don't we see this every week of like, Oh, man, I made a waiver claim for, you know, Dearness Johnson, and look what he just did. <laughs> it, it, it happens, and I don't think you say that at whiteout. No. And I maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but hear me out on this one. Michael Pittman did not play in week two. You got shut out. Jonathan Taylor did not play yesterday, and you scored 34 points. There's a reason why I had Michael Pittman as the most indispensable Colt this season. It's easier to replace your number one running back than it is your number one wideout. I I think that's true in all 32 NFL teams, but it's definitely true here, here in Indy. Hmm. And again, I, I know you didn't have Pierce in week two, but like even asking, you know, Campbell, shouldn't Campbell be the equivalent of Deion Jackson on the depth chart? Well, Campbell's biggest contribution in week two was an offensive pass interference penalty in the fourth quarter. And Deion Jackson, you know, had, what, 10 catches yesterday and a decent day on the ground. So I just that, – that's for a bigger discussion in the offseason. He was great. All right, Daniel chimes in. I know winning is hard and it should be celebrated, but after another slow start and allowing Lawrence to be so economical with his passes – should we be optimistic about this team moving forward? I'm one foot optimist and one foot for blowing this up. Boy, Daniel, that is that final sentence. I'm one foot optimist, one foot for blowing this up. I think that's one of the harder, like, you know, polls, if you will, of this fan base right now. Um, you know, what do you want to believe in? What, you know, what, what train do you want to fully be on? Um, I do think it's the most optimistic fans should be after a game all season long, especially a win. Um, yes, there are still things you have to clean up. They have gotten the ball to start, what, six straight games now? And they haven't scored on any of those drives? Like, you can't continue to play from behind. You can't continue to get down double digits to an AFC South team. Obviously, you can't let opposing quarterback go over 90% and the run defense over seven yards per carry. There were certainly flaws from yesterday and I will continue to say it, God bless the AFC South, in that it's the gift that continues to be there. It's up to the Colts if they want to take the gift home or not. But pass offense. I'll go back to what I let off the show with, Brandon. If you look at kind of the five areas that I think we often kind of categorize wins in, run offense, pass defense, 
pass offense. Uh, pat, whatever one I haven't said at this point. Uh, sorry, it's been a long night. Run defense, special teams. Those five areas, the one that I had the least confidence in is the one that won you the football game yesterday. <laughs> and that'd be your pass offense. Yeah. So I think those are reasons for optimism. Now the question becomes, can you repeat it? Can you sustain it? Can you do it away from home? You know, These are all like different kind of rungs of on the ladder of an NFL season. And proving yourself, showing that you can do it, making sure the results follow. Again, results, performance. We always talk about that on the Monday pods. The result yesterday, absolutely how you need it. The performance, easily the most encouraging of the season. Granted, the bar was very low for that. Now the question becomes of, is that the start of something building or bubbling, or is this the outlier? Hmm. All right, Kev, from Dave, short and sweet here. Apparently the media was wrong or impatient. We actually do have receivers. Well, I feel like that's a shot of me, Dave. I feel like that's a direct shot. I've been uh, there with you too, though. <laughs> I, I heard, and this is a fair sentiment. I I heard this from several people after the game yesterday. Um, Dave uses the word impatient. Is that what you said there, Brendan? Wrong or impatient? Apparently, the media was wrong or impatient. See, impatient—that's the issue for me. I feel like the Colts treated the start to the season, and Ballard has said this on record. You know, we'll look at our wideouts early on, and if we feel like we need to make a move midseason, we'll make a move. Wait a minute. There's only 17 of these. You start with two divisional games out of the gate. You haven't won a season opener in seven years, eight years. You haven't won in Jacksonville in seven years, six years, whatever it is. Let's have some sense of urgency for week one and week two. And in week one and week two, what unit was a huge issue for you in losing? I should say missing out on winning either of those two games. The pass catchers. So I, I, I can't fully go there. Alec Pierce, as I said earlier, the consistent early production, I did not expect in his rookie season. I thought we'd see flashes of it. I did not think we'd see it this early, this often. Campbell yesterday was nice. I, I still, again, week two, that one just kind of sticks out to me with Campbell. That I, I, I just, I didn't love. It, you know, if you've got a veteran wideout in there, that you believe in a little bit more, does that help you out in week one or week two? Does that all of a sudden mean, hey, if Michael Pittman's out for a game, you've got a guy that can support you a little bit more? That's where um, I would argue. But, um, you you know, betting on 16, 17, and blackjack, hitting on that, so far with Pierce, looks like you found a four or a five. Campbell, decent, sure. Um, he's been available. You know, now it's, you know, can he do it for 17 games? Kev, we'll go to Big Bama. Since Reggie Wayne joined the coaching staff, what are some things that you notice that gets unmentioned when it comes to Pittman's growth and Pierce's development week by week, along with some of the, some of the other wideouts? Yeah, it's a great question. And just a, a little tease here. We're going to have Alec Pierce on our morning show tomorrow morning at 930, and I'm going to ask him this very question. Um, that's Kevin and Query, by the way, for those that are unfamiliar with uh, our morning show. You know, I think something you love about Reggie Wayne, Brendan, is this is a Hall of Fame caliber wideout that doesn't necessarily have Hall of Fame measurables. He's not Calvin Johnson. He's not 4-3-1 in the 40-yard dash. 
he had to kind of win as being a technician. And I think that is what you want to – Reggie Wayne had to do that, so he's trying to now coach coach that into his group. Um, and the anecdote I shared earlier about Alec Pierce looking at him before that snap and saying, calm down, win your release, and kind of you know trust that, then let your athletic makeup um, take over. So I think that's where Reggie has really helped Pierce. Um, you know, Pittman – I think would fall into that category as well. I always just kind of felt like Pittman's general progression would take him to the level that you're now seeing. I mean, dude, he had 13 for 160. I, 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 you know, Not bad. Is he a top five wideout in the league? No. Does he need to get the end zone more? Sure. That dude's a dog. An absolute dog. Third downs, big plays. You guys have heard me say it a million times. There's no USC pretty boy in how Michael Pittman plays the wide receiver spot. None of it. How many big third down catches did Pittman make yesterday? You know, the contested ball, sure, he dropped the two point conversion. Yeah, okay. You know, when you got 16 targets, you're probably not going to catch all of them. But how many just big moments did he just kind of keep you mm-hmm. alive with that? Um, you know, right now, I feel like with Pierce, it's turned into the new Carson Wentz deep ball from last year. Remember how effective the Carson Wentz deep ball was? Oh, just underthrown by 20 yards, and that'll be a pass interference penalty. <laughs> I feel like that's the new Alec Pierce ball. Obviously, you're having more success in finding Pierce, but didn't he draw two penalties yesterday? I'm pretty sure he did. You know, those are you're gonna you're gonna get corners. I think they're already starting to. You're gonna get corners that are gonna start to panic a little bit more. And and defending Pierce. And then you're gonna get other um Gosh, I'm looking through the game log. How bad was that intentional grounding by Matt Ryan? That was brutal. So that was right before the Taekwon Lewis third and two sack. Yeah. Yeah, that was the shakiest moment of the game. I'm going to find these Pierce penalties in here. Keep on going, Brandon. All right. Uh, first of all, uh, as a fellow Irishman, there have been some... What US- the hell was that? There What? There have been some USC pretty boys that we... Uh, oh, I thought you were taking a jab at the Stanford loss. No. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, what the hell was that for sure? Right. But no, there have been some USC pretty boys that I have not liked. I'm sure for you too. Mm-hmm. I so. would agree. Okay. Uh, I found one of the Pierce penalties. Sorry. Here. Um, first and 10 of the 25. Boom. Shaquille Griffin, 15 yards. No play. Now you got first and goal from the 10. Two plays later, Jelani Woods action. Yeah. How about Jelani Woods getting back into the end zone? Was that all OPI? I thought the officiating crew was horrible yesterday. Uh, yeah, me too. Even though I love, I, I, I don't know his name, but the referee's voice, it's my favorite referee. Jerome Boger. Yeah, he does he, have a great voice. Five-yard penalty. Yeah, he does have a great voice. I think yeah. his crew's terrible. Mm, tough. All right, Tanner, our rookies are looking really good this year so far, and Tanner's really looking, really liking Rodney Thomas at free safety. Do you think there's something there with him as a starter? And if so, what happens with Julian Blackman? says, don't get me wrong, I really like 32, but I feel like we could get something for him to build draft capital. That was interesting. Um, Julian Blackman, helmet on, or excuse me, no helmet on, like standing away from his defenders. He looked like he was only needed in an emergency role. He practiced all week, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, yeah, how they divvy up those snaps with Rodney Thomas, I, I still like Blackman, and this is something I think just to keep an eye on, like the Colts the defensive backs are not getting their hands on enough balls. Ryan Tannehill was what, 17 of 21? You know, Lawrence yesterday, 20 of 22. You're not forcing enough turnovers. You're not creating enough chances. That's a reason why I want to see Isaiah Rodgers in the game. 
Um, I, I still like Blackman's ability to find the ball a little bit, but how they divvy up those snaps. Again, Thomas has been really good. I, I don't want to act like he hasn't. But divvying up those snaps I think will be interesting to watch. Kevil hit Julian, who has a question on the offensive line, specifically right guard. Even though the line played good on Sunday, watching Matt Pryor individually, he was still struggling. Will Fries, Julian feels like, is better in pass protection, at least at right guard. Your thoughts, Kev? Yeah, I I don't know if I can say that with confidence. Like at some point, Brendan, you've got to build chemistry. You've got to just say, all right, these are the five, and we need to build it. Um, But, boy, having Pittman and Pierce back, I thought it was so big to help out your O-line yesterday. I thought that would be the difference in the game, and, and I think it definitely was. But... Yeah, that would be the one that I think you continue to look at. I, I just, I am a little worried about overall chemistry with that group. And mm-hmm. do you start to see that develop a little bit more? Jake says the win was important, but finding the starting five offensive linemen was more necessary. True or false, Kev? Ooh, give that to me again. True or false, the win was important, but finding the starting five offensive linemen was more necessary. Well, I guess with Julian's question, he would push back on starting the <laughs> five offensive linemen. Uh, that's interesting. I, I would say it was true, frankly, for Matt Ryan's health and that he just went a week and when he uh, wasn't sacked and you know hit a half a dozen times. Um, yeah, I... <sighs> Boy, that's that's a good one. I I still got a side of the win. I, I think where you're at in the AFC South, would it have been a season sweep? Would it have been another game? You're down double digits to an AFC South team and you lose at home. It, it's a great question. But I would side just a little bit with the win. So that's a good one, though. Jake. Kev, pretty simple question here from Andy, something you were touching on earlier. What will it take to put Isaiah Rogers in full time? Does he have blackmail? Like, does does Brendan Faison have blackmail? I, I I don't I don't the Gus Bradley relationship must be thick. Yeah, I I don't understand it. As I said earlier, and you know honestly, Brendan, finding the ball is one thing, and I think Rogers excels at that. I mean, you were out at training camp. The dude finds Love the ball him. every single play. Love him. But you know what? He might not be as big as Brandon Faison, but I think he's better against the run. Faison has been a liability in the run. You're seeing penalties with Faison. Coverage, it, it, it's, it checks three boxes for me right now. Three boxes. Coverage, penalties, and against the run. All three of those. All right, Kev, we'll go now, to G- Oh, sorry. I will, sorry to interrupt. I will add this. We're starting to see Rodgers get more and more playing time, but I'm just ready to give him the full nickel snaps. Just bench, bench face on. I think you need to send a little handwritten note to Gus Bradley's house. Boy, I don't... Uh, the Eberflus, Eberflus fan, easier for me to say. The Eberflus family, not big fans of Kevin Bowen, so I'm going to venture to mm. say we might hold off on that one for the Bradley. Well, know. that's okay. They're not going to be fans of Chicago media either when he starts getting eaten up by media that are more <laughs> aggressive than us. Um, I, I, look, Kev, when, not to get off track here, but when, no. when Matt Eberflus was hired by the Chicago Bears— I, I, I'm pretty close with a couple people from some major Chicago radio stations. I said, have fun with this guy because you're going to eat this guy up. And it's getting to be that time. So, you know. Thursday Night Football was quite the thing to watch last week. That was wild. All right. Jay says, or and asks, where does the Frank Wright call on the Alec Pierce touchdown rank in his tenure of gutsy calls here in Indianapolis? 
Jay says he loves the show. He hasn't missed an episode in over five years, Let's Kevin. go, Jay. Five years. It means a lot. I appreciate that, Jay. Um, gosh, where does that rank? Boy, That that's I think it's up there. I mean, Frank likes to take a shot late, but this was different, you know? I mean, this was – I kind of laid it out earlier from time, the timeout situation, belief in your quarterback. No. A hold or a sack there – and that would have been just devastating, devastating. And then obviously, belief in your rookie. I, I don't know, BK. Maybe I'm speaking in hyperbole. I thought that was one of the cooler, like Lucas Oil moments in a while. Yeah. I mean, last year you had the JT run against against the Patriots, but I thought that was. I thought your crowd. I I loved just. I felt a little, felt a little hostility. I felt a little venom out of the crowd yesterday. I don't typically feel that. I felt it, and I thought they deserved to be rewarded in the way that they were. The story that you told about him looking over the Reggie Wayne, I mean, that feels like a scene out of, like, any given Sunday. Right. That's a movie scene. Uh Uh-huh. Seriously. All right. uh, This is something you alluded to earlier from Flippin'. Did Ursay force Sam Ellinger to rise above Nick Foles to be the backup quarterback? Did he put pressure on Frank Reich to make that move? I think the owner had a lot of influence on his head coach there. Um, we'll expand on it more on Wednesday's pod, but yeah, that that's there's a reason why I felt the need to commit, you know, one of the five sections I do of five things learned yesterday to that. Um I think there's I think there's a good amount there. Um I'm and honestly I think listeners of this podcast know where I kind of stand on it. I'm all about, when you have an aging QB, I'm all about the young backup. All about it. Don't need to see Nick Foles play one down of football. Don't need to. If for some reason Matt Ryan were to get hurt or to look awful for a longer stretch and you were going to turn to a different QB, I would turn to Ellinger. Me too. And I'm not saying that acting like Ellinger is a franchise QB by any means, but I, I don't. When I know the answers to quarterbacks, I don't need to see that answer. I don't need to see that being put on display thinking that something's going to change. So, um, but again, flipping to your point, yes, I think the owner, um, whether the Colts want to admit it or not, I think the owner had some influence. Mm. Kev, you know I've been an Ellinger guy for a long time. Uh, Give us a Gus Johnson Ellinger. Ellinger! <laughs> Touchdown, Texas. Uh, <laughs> How great was that? Uh, is I that the it. Red River shootout? What? Oh, that's my favorite game. Gosh, that was so good. That's my favorite game. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, it's, it is kind of weird, though, and maybe kind of crappy, depending on what happened, that like the one game that you bench Foles and he doesn't dress is the game that he plays Super Bowl head coach. Well, and that could have been a nice moment after the game. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. So that's kind of shitty. Hell, if I'm Nick Foles, I'm like, dude, two and a half million not to dress. Oof, oh, oh yeah. I mean, is... I, I wouldn't. I mean, yeah. Th- I mean, that's kind of a soft thing. But it's like, oh, you could have had a handshake after the yeah. game. I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anyway. Uh, last one, David. Hey, Kevin. Last year we had questions early on about it. We should on if we should purposely bench Carson Wentz to potentially save a higher draft pick. Do you think it's good that Washington won on Thursday over the Bears because it increases our chances of getting a second-round pick even though it drops the pick number? 
Yeah, this is certainly very relevant after what happened on Thursday night, and we kind of hinted at this last week. Uh, broken ring finger, right, on his throwing hand, um, going to see a specialist in L.A. Boy, if I'm Washington, Brendan King, I'm like, is this the perfect time to bench Carson Wentz or not? <laughs> right? Yeah. Who's I, Is Heineke still their backup? Well, I, I would just go to Sam Howe, the North Carolina kid. Oh, yeah. Um, they don't have their bye week until – December 11th. Oh, boy. That's not good for the Colts. And the Colts also have their bye week, ironically, December 11th. That's not good for the Colts and wanting to get Carson Wentz to play as much as possible. You know, if they were to have their bye week like next week or something, then maybe Washington could look at it and say, all right, let's give him two weeks to rest. Or two, yeah, two weeks to rest, and then we'll bring him back after the bye. Like, you don't have that, you know, built-in cushion. So, if I were, you know and I think Colts fans should be locked into this, I, I would care significantly about this, and right now I don't think it's trending in a great direction. Mm. And we're talking about an injury shoulder and now his throwing hand, and he doesn't look good to begin with. And they're 19 games back of the Eagles in the a- NFC East. And they don't have their bye week until December. Like, if you're going to make me pick right now, I would assume that the Colts will be getting the third-round pick from Washington and not the second-rounder. It's kind of wild that they've kind of fallen off a cliff because to start the season at least I give them credit for their weapons like they, at one point they had Terry McLaurin Curtis Samuel Logan Thomas and Jahan Dotson all sliding up together right. I mean that's pretty good Dotson a little banged up right yeah a little banged up yeah I mean hell they beat Jacksonville right Week yeah one. yeah I, I, again their weapons at first before they're now they're dealing with injuries I mean really good okay we're gonna come back on Wednesday you're gonna be back in the saddle you got it per usual tremendous effort out of you um, we'll talk a little bit more no huddle. We'll talk some Sam Ellinger, any news items that happen over the next 48 hours. But we'll be back on our Monday-Wednesday rotation and give our picks. I believe the early line I saw was Tennessee minus two. Hmm. That makes sense. Is no. that accurate coming out of the bye week? I think that makes sense. I still don't think, and honestly, maybe this is the way to to put it. I don't think the Titans are very pretty, but they just get it done. I think you can describe them... In most av- at most positions, minus Derrick Henry, obviously, because he's elite, but kind of the same thing as Tannehill. Like, the guy's not going to blow you away in any shape or form, but he can go win you a ball game. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm not impressed by them, but here they are, three and two, minus two and a half right now, over to under 42 and a half. So that has very much the feel of Colts Jags did the week prior. All right, he's Brendan King. Terrific from him. I'm Kevin Bowen. Mediocre out of me. No. Appreciate you listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. Everybody have a great start to the week, and we'll be back on Wednesday. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.